Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Today's message comes from our series, Grace and Truth, a study of the book 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Nick. Would you please bow your heads with me and let's pray as we open God's Word. Lord, thank you that you are a God who loves us and you want to speak to us. And we know that you have words for us to instruct us, in some cases to encourage us, in some cases to challenge us. And Lord, we pray that we would be open and receptive to whatever your word has to speak to us today. And we pray that you would speak to us by your spirit. And we pray that you would give us ears to hear and receive and put into practice what you speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few years ago, my wife Rosemary and I, we made a decision. Our decision was we were done having kids. No more kids for us. You know, God created for six days, and then he stopped. And so there comes a time when you can stop having kids. And so we decided that we were done having kids. And the reason was because when our daughter was born, she almost died. And the reason she almost died was because of a a medical condition my wife has that went undiagnosed. And as a result, we almost lost our daughter. She was in the hospital. She was in a coma. And by the grace of God, she was healed and she's survived and she's doing great today. But after that, you know, we were like, all right, we're done having kids. No more kids for us. So a few years went by. And then both of our young kids were in school. So one day, you know, kids are at school. I'm looking at Rosemary, and I'm thinking, you know what we should do? We should have another kid, right? And so uh, I told her, hey, what if we had another baby? And she said, no way. Don't even talk to me about this. We were done with diapers and nap schedules and strollers and potty training. And to have another baby would mean that we got to start all over with all that stuff all over again. But here's the thing. I had noticed something. Even though we agreed that we're not having any more kids, we also hadn't gotten rid of our baby stuff. So the, the stroller and the car seat and the, the crib and the, the changing table, they were disassembled, but they were stored in the basement. We hadn't actually gotten rid of them. So I was thinking maybe she does secretly want to have another baby and she just doesn't know it yet. So I thought, okay. So, so I went to her and I said, okay, yeah, what do you think? Another baby? And she said, no. And stop talking to me about it. No more babies. So I said, you know, I came up with an idea. My idea was, I'll negotiate with her. So here was my negotiation. I said, listen, all you have to do is the pregnancy. I'm going to do everything else, right? Like, I promise. I'll get up in the middle of the night. I'll do all the diapers. I'll do all the stuff. You just do the pregnancy. I'll do the rest. And she apparently saw through that because she said, no, no more babies. Not going to happen. So I said, listen, okay, fine. I won't bring it up anymore, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray, and you can't stop me because you can't tell me what I can pray for and what I can't. So I'm going to go pray, and I'm going to pray that God gives us a baby. And she said, don't you dare. And I said, I'm, I'm going to do it. I am. And you know what the Bible says? It says that the prayer of a righteous man avails much. And so if I really am a righteous man, then you better watch out because God's going to hear my prayers and you're going to have a baby. And so some time went by and guess what? Yep, we got pregnant. We were going to have a baby. And when we found out, we cried. 
but kind of for different reasons, right? So uh, we cried, yeah. So partly because uh, we were happy, partly because we were a little scared about Rosemary's medical condition, and also partly because we knew that babies are a lot of work, right? Babies are really cute, but they're also exhausting and messy and kind of gross. They slobber a lot, and they poop all the time, and they have like blowouts, and they throw up a lot. One time when our son was a baby, I, I had stayed up at night. I'd gotten up at night with him, and I was really exhausted. And I was so tired from being up with him. And Rosemary was asleep because she was tired, too. We were just tired all the time. And so I fell asleep on the floor in the living room with my son just kind of crawling around like free range. It was not a good situation. So he's crawling around, and I'm passed out on the floor on my back. And so he crawled up on top of me. And you know this thing where, like, babies, when they're, like, six to eight months or years old, they're around there somewhere, they have these, they cut their their teeth, right? And their teeth are like razor sharp baby teeth. So he climbs up on top of me and he bit the tip of my nose with his razor baby teeth. And it hurts so bad. And you know, you wake up and I'm like, I don't want to, oh, you like catch yourself. You're like, okay, can't injure the baby and can't scream. Don't want to scare the baby. So I kept my composure and it hurt really bad. But then a few minutes later, I fell back asleep. So he's still crawling around the house. So this time he climbs up on top of me and he actually threw up right on my face. But he didn't just throw up right on my face. He threw up right on my eyes. Now listen, I don't know if anyone's ever thrown up on your eyes. I really hope not. But let me tell you this. It's hard, right? Because you can't like, you can't open your eyes, right? So I'm like, okay. So with my eyes closed, I'm like, place baby here. You know, walk to the bathroom by memory without stepping on the baby or injuring myself or breaking anything. In other words, listen, God made babies cute so that we'd want to take care of them even though they're messy and gross and exhausting. And the thing you tell yourself when you're up in the middle of the night changing those diapers is this. You tell yourself, this isn't going to last forever. This is just a season. One day, they're going to get bigger. This baby stuff will go away. They're going to mature. That's the hope. That's the expectation. If the child is healthy, they'll grow and they'll develop. The baby stage doesn't last forever. And if it does, that means that something is tragically wrong. And the same is true on a spiritual level. The Bible tells us that when you put your faith in Jesus and what he did for you, you become a child of God. And that title, by the way, child of God, it doesn't belong to every human being just on account of them being a human being. No, look at what it says in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. It's talking about Jesus, and it says this. But to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to be called children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In our study last week, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we saw how our default condition as people is that we're not children of God, right? That's our default. That's how we're born. We don't come into the world as children of God. It's not something you're born as. It's something you have to become. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to us in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. God came to us in the person of Jesus to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. In Jesus, God intervened on your behalf to change your status and to change your destiny. And because of what Jesus did for us in his life and his death and his resurrection, if you put your trust in him, then rather than being a child of wrath, you become a child of God. But the question is, okay, once you've become a child of God, 
what's next? What comes after that? What's the next step? What happens after you become a child of God? And the answer to that question is, what comes next is, it's time to grow. It's time to grow. Just like in life, everybody starts out as a baby, but a healthy baby doesn't remain a baby forever. A healthy baby grows. And in the same way, a healthy child of God needs to grow. You need to grow in the knowledge of God. You need to grow in using the gifts that God has given you. You need to grow in maturity. You need to grow in faith. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul the Apostle said this. He said, I will remain and continue with you for what? For the progress and joy in the faith. For your progress and your joy in the faith. Paul's desire, Paul's expectation for these fellow Christians is on the one hand that they would experience joy in believing, but on the other hand, you see that? It's that they would experience progress, that they would make progress in their faith, that they would mature and grow, and that they would move forward. You know, studies have shown that perhaps the number one factor, the most important key factor in people feeling content and fulfilled in their lives is a sense of progress and personal growth. Without a sense of progress and personal growth, you know what the feeling is? We describe it as being stuck. You're stuck. You're not making progress. You're not growing. You're not moving forward. And that feeling is discouraging, and it's deflating. And how much more so is that true on a spiritual level as well? You know, one of the metaphors that the Bible uses to describe what it looks like to have a relationship with God and to live a life of faith, the metaphor it uses is this metaphor of walking with God. And I want you to think about what that metaphor implies. Walking with God implies movement, doesn't it? It implies that you're going somewhere with God. You're not staying put. You're moving somewhere. And think about that. As you walk with God, there are things that you're moving away from And there are other things that you're moving towards. And so the question is, how do we grow as children of God? And how do we make progress in our faith? The title of today's message is Time to Grow. And every week I give you a sentence. This sentence is a standalone takeaway truth that I encourage you to write down, put it in your notes, and I encourage you to take a photo of it, whatever you got to do so that you can think on this and remember it and ponder it throughout the week and it will also be our outline for this sermon and this, for studying this text. And so as you remember the sentence, it'll help you to remember what we learned in this text. So here's our sentence for today. Growing in maturity as children of God requires nutrition, exercise, and construction. Let's use that sentence and we'll break it down as we study through this passage. So first of all, growing in maturity as children of God. That's the first part of our sentence. Verse 1 of chapter 3 says this, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh and as infants in Christ. In the previous section, in chapter 2, Paul explained to us that there are basically two kinds of people in the world. He said there is the natural person, And there is the spiritual person, the natural person and the spiritual person. Every one of us is born as a natural person. That's our default condition. In order to become a spiritual person, you have to, as Jesus said, be born again. See, it's one thing to be born physically. Everybody's born physically at some point in their life. But in order to become a child of God, you have to be born again spiritually. 
And that happens when you put your faith in Jesus and what he did to save you. When that happens, you are, the Bible says, when that happens, what happens inside of you is that you are born again and you are regenerated. You become a new person. You're no longer just a natural person. You become a spiritual person because God places his Holy Spirit inside of you to do this work of transformation and instruction and leading you from within. So now, though, Paul says this. He says, look, yes, there's, there's two kinds of people, but there's also a third. But there's also a third, right? So there's a natural person. There's a spiritual person. Now Paul says, Here, here's a third category for you. There's the carnal person. A carnal person. The word carnal means of the flesh. So you can think about when you go to the Mexican grocery store and you get uh, carne asada or you get chili con carne or you're proud of yourself because you're a carnivore or you look down on other people because you're not a carnivore. Whatever that is, you understand that carnivore, the word carne refers to the flesh. So a carnal person is someone who is of the flesh. And you can put it this way. The carnal person, Paul tells us, is a person who is a Christian and yet they live as if they aren't. They are a Christian, but they live as if they weren't. Even though they believe in Jesus, their thoughts and their actions are more similar to those of a natural person who doesn't know God and who doesn't follow Jesus. Paul says it's kind of like this. It's like you're a child of God, but you're an infant perpetually. You're a perpetual infant. Listen, there's nothing wrong with being an infant unless you never progress past that stage. That was the problem with the Corinthians. Look at what Paul says in verse 2. He says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you're still not ready for it. The problem was that the Corinthian Christians hadn't grown. They hadn't matured. They hadn't made progress in their faith. And here's how Paul knew that. Look at what it says in verses 3 and 4. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? Are you not being merely human is what he says. Listen, the evidence of their immaturity there in Corinth was the fact that there was jealousy and strife amongst them. And they were arguing and they were dividing over dumb stuff and petty issues. Rather than being united around the gospel which gives us a shared identity as the redeemed children of God, and it gives us a shared mission as the people of God in the world, given gifts and, and commissioned by God to do his work in the world. Rather than being united around the gospel, they were bickering and dividing over petty, trivial stuff. It's interesting that Paul uses this metaphor of babies, and here's why. Because I'm not an expert on child development, but I, I do know enough about it to know this. The thing about small children is that they are egocentric in their development, which means that they view the world and they view everything around them in relation to themselves, right? So basically, it'd be like the world or the universe revolves around them. That's how they view the world and relate to people. And it's only as a child grows and matures, what happens is that they become more and more conscious of other people's feelings and other people's needs and what's going on in the lives of other people around them. And so think about it. Someone who is stunted in their development, they could be 40 or 50 years old, but they still think and act in many ways emotionally like a child. And part of that is that they are egocentric. They view the world as revolving around them. Now, what does that mean for us as we grow in maturity as Christians? Well, how do you know that you're growing in maturity? How do you know if you're maturing or not? Well, here's how you can know. 
In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, Paul tells us that God's goal, the purpose, right, the finish line that he's taking us towards is this. Maturity as a Christian means becoming more like Jesus. He says it again in Ephesians chapter 4, that the end goal of God's work in your life is that you would grow up and become like Jesus more and more. And that's exciting if you think about it, because the Bible tells us that Jesus was the happiest person who ever lived. Check it out in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9. Jesus was the happiest person who ever lived. And we also read that people love to be around Jesus. Jesus embodied everything that was good and beautiful and true. So to be like Jesus is exceedingly good, and that's God's desire for you and your life. It's his plan. That's what he wants to do in you. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul tells us that to be like Jesus, what, what does it look like? Here's what it looks like. Here's what it means. To be like Jesus means not only looking to your own interests, but looking to the interests of others like Jesus did. It means following God's calling and mission for your life, just like Jesus did. It means loving others sacrificially and serving them just like Jesus did. But the Corinthians, unfortunately, were not doing those things. Instead, the Corinthians were thinking, over, thinking only about themselves and, and insisting upon their preferences and bickering and dividing over petty stuff and trivial things. And this kind of thinking, these kind of actions, Paul tells us, there's nothing spiritual about this. It is totally carnal. It is of the flesh. It is not of the spirit. And I think it's worth stopping here and saying this. It's really easy for us to look back 2,000 years and judge the Corinthians, say, oh man, look at those Corinthians, so carnal, am I right? Yeah, high five each other and just like walk out of here. Oh man, sure I'm glad that we learned that the Corinthians were carnal. Good, now let's get on with Sunday. No, listen, the whole point of this is to say this, if they were carnal, we need to stop and ask ourselves, look at their actions. Are there any ways in which we are carnal, right? Are there any ways in which you need to ask yourself this question and discuss it with the Lord and ask, Lord, are there any areas where I am acting and thinking in ways that are carnal rather than spiritual? Now, maybe some of you say, yeah, well, you know, if I was honest, I'd say, yeah, of course. There are some things in my life that are, that are carnal. But you know what? Of course there are, because I'm only human. What more do you expect of me? And notice that's exactly what Paul says in verses 3 and 4. He says, you guys are behaving in a way that is merely human. And you might say, well, of course, Paul. That is exactly how I'm acting because that's what I am. I'm merely human. And Paul would say, no, you're not. No, you are not. You're not merely human. You've been born again by the Spirit of God. You have a higher life and a higher power at work inside of you. You're not merely human. You're a child of God. And as a child of God, you have a calling that is higher, a a way of living and being that is higher than that which is common or merely human. So the question is, again, how do we grow in maturity as children of God. And that brings us to the next part of our sentence. So growing in maturity as children of God requires nourishment, first of all. Nourishment. Verse 5 says this. What then is Apollos and what is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. You know, throughout the Bible, there are metaphors that are used to describe the revelation that God has given us that we have here on the pages of the Bible. And those metaphors are often to do with food. You realize that? Like, for example, Jesus described the Word of God as being like bread which nourishes and sustains our souls. 
Peter talks about the word of God as being like milk, which helps us to grow up into salvation. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 5, he talks about the word of God as being like pure water. The Old Testament prophets, they talk about the word of God as being like honey, this sweet to the taste. You know, to describe the words of Scripture as being like food is a really interesting metaphor, and here's why. How many of you have ever been to the grocery store, and you've gone to the grocery store when you were hungry? So you've been in the grocery store, and you probably made some really bad decisions, right? You did some things that you shouldn't have done. You overbought. You bought the wrong things. You just like, it wasn't a good idea to go to the grocery store when you were hungry. But listen, that just proves to us, you can be surrounded by food and still be hungry. Of course, right, because that food, as long as it's on the shelf and not in your stomach, it doesn't do anything for you. In order for that food to do anything for you, it has to get off the shelf, and you have to consume it. In the same way, you can own a Bible. You can have a Bible app on your phone, but unless you open it, unless you consume what's in it, unless you digest it and bring it into yourself, it's not going to do any good for you. And some of the teachings of the Bible, Paul tells us, some of them are like milk, and others of them are like solid food, like pork chops, like steak, like meat. Milk is easy to digest. You don't have to chew it. It's easy to swallow. In the same way, some of the teachings of the Bible are simple and easy to swallow. But there are other parts of the Bible that are harder to swallow. Do you ever run into those parts of the Bible? The ones that are hard to swallow? The ones that you might have to chew on? The ones that you might have to, to, to break them down for a little while before you can really digest them? The Corinthians hadn't progressed. They hadn't grown. They hadn't matured in their understanding and in their handling of God's word. In order to grow and mature as a child of God, it requires nourishment. And that nourishment comes from the word of God. Which is why, if you haven't, haven't noticed yet by now, we here at Whitefields, we place a big emphasis on the studying of the Bible. Both here at church, and we encourage you to do it on your own and in groups. It's a big thing about who we are. We're Bible people. And why? Because we want you to grow. We want you to grow. And we know that in order to grow, you need a steady diet of God's Word. Now remember, Paul the Apostle was the one who had founded and established the church there in Corinth on his second missionary journey. Acts chapter 18 is where we read about that. And he was there for a year and a half there in Corinth, and Paul pastored these people, and he taught them the Bible. But after Paul left, we read that another man came in, and he taught them the Bible after Paul was gone. That man's name was Apollos. You can read about him in Acts chapter 18 as well. And it says there in the book of Acts that Apollos was a gifted orator and a very good speaker. And so some people in the church began dividing over who's, who their allegiance was to, right? They said, oh, I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. I align myself with Paul. I align myself with Apollos. And these two groups became adversarial against each other. They were fighting and bickering and dividing over this issue. And Paul looks at this and he says, guys, this is ridiculous. Apollos and I, you know what we were? We were just servants through whom you believed. We were not the ones in whom you believed. Your faith and your allegiance should be to Jesus, not to any human agent that God used. Furthermore, Paul says, Apollos and I, we're on the same team. You guys are fighting over who's of who. Apollos and I love each other, man. We're on the same team. We're both working for the same goal. 
And Paul says, look, I was there first, and so I planted the seed with my teaching. And then Apollos came, and he watered that seed with his teaching. But we were working for the same thing. We're on the same team. We're not divided. See, Jesus described the word of God as being like a seed. There's a parable in which he talks about this. The parable is seed and the sower. And when we hear the word of God, it's as if those seeds are planted in the soil of our hearts. Now, sometimes that soil is better than other times. Sometimes the soil of our hearts might be shallow or full of rocks or full of weeds and things which prevent the word of God from having the fruit in our lives that it could. But the seed of God's word, as it gets planted in you, as you hear it, as you read it, here's what it does. It does something in you even if you can't see it. That's what a seed does, doesn't it? When you put a seed into soil, it begins to germinate. Something begins to happen, but it happens out of sight. It happens under the surface. And the same is true of God's word. When it goes into you, it never is without effect. It germinates. It begins to do something, even though you can't see it right away. And so what do you do? Well, you got to water that seed. And remember, water is one of the metaphors that the Bible uses to describe the Word of God. So the idea is that Paul was the first to teach them the Bible, and then Apollos came, and he continued to teach them the Bible. And Paul's desire and hope for the Corinthians is that they would grow in their understanding of God's word and in their appetite for God's word, that they would grow in maturity as children of God. And that requires nourishment. But you know what else it requires? It brings us to the next part of our sentence. It also requires exercise. Notice what it says in verses 6 and 7. It says in verse 6, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Think about it like this. A farmer can plant seeds and water seeds, but they can't make anything happen. They can't make anything grow. All a farmer can do is create an environment and provide the right resources so that growth can take place, but they can't actually make it happen by their own willpower. In the same way, listen, I can get up here every week, I can lose my voice and get all sweaty and stuff, right, and kind of shout a little bit, but I can't make you grow. You realize that? I can't do that for you. Everything we do here at church, whether it's, you know, teaching or worship and any of the other ministries, listen, our goal is to create an environment in which growth can take place, in which all the suitable conditions and necessary elements are in place to help you grow but we can't do it for you. We can't do it for you. So the question is, how do you grow? Well, first of all, you need nourishment. But if you stop there, that's not enough. You also need exercise. Think about it. If you get a lot of nourishment, but you don't get any exercise, you'll be very unhealthy, right? That's the problem with, with many of us, right? We, we've had lots of nourishment, but not enough exercise. And the same is true on a spiritual level. That's why James, in his epistle, encourages us not just to be hearers of the word, but to also be doers of God's word. This is why Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, in chapter 2, he encourages the Philippians to work out their salvation. Not work for their salvation, right? It's not about earning it. It's about working out what you already have, exercising it, putting it into practice. In other words, don't just say that you trust God, but actually trust him in practice. Don't just nod your head and agree that it's good to do what God says, but actually do it. Without exercise, you won't grow. You need to put your faith into practice in every area 
of your life. Notice what it says in verses 8 and 9. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. Now, this is an incredible thing that Paul is saying here. He is saying that God has invited us to join him in his work in the world. Now, why would God do that? Is it because he can't do it on his own? He really needs us to pitch in, you know, jump in and help him? Is it because he doesn't want to do it, you know, and he wants us to do it instead? No, no, listen. The reason why God invites us to be part of his work, that's a huge privilege for us. But it's the the reason he does it. It's the same reason why a father asks their small child to help him do a job. It isn't because the father can't do it without the small child. It isn't because the child is going to make the job easier. In fact, the child's probably going to make it harder and messier and and more problematic. Now, the reason why a father asks their small child to jump in and join them in their work is because the father knows that this will build a bond between them as they work together. And here's what Paul tells us in verse 8. He says, each of us will be rewarded according to our labor, according to our labor. So as you seek to exercise your faith, as you seek to join God on his mission in the world, know this. God is not as much concerned with the results that you produce as he is with the effort that you put in. He's less interested in the results that you produce than he is in the effort that you put in. Listen, it's not the results that he rewards. It's the effort that God rewards. And that's really encouraging. I'll tell you why. Because there are a lot of times when you might put in a lot of effort. You might do things with the the pure heart and the right heart. And the results, you wonder, where are they? They're not what I hoped they would be. Because a lot of times, the results are completely out of your control. But you know what is in your control? The effort that you put into it. And the good news is that that is what God's looking at. He's saying, let me see. I will judge you and, and I will reward you according to the effort, not according to the results. That's really encouraging news. But the question for us is this. Are you putting in the effort. Are you putting in that effort? So that brings us to the last part of our sentence. Growing in maturity as children of God requires nourishment, exercise, but also requires construction. Paul finishes verse 9 by saying this, you are God's field and God's building. So he's already been explaining this metaphor. He's been using this metaphor of a field, planting, watering. But now he switches and uses a different metaphor to talk about the Corinthians and their church. The metaphor of a building being erected. Look at what he says in verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, when it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will, be, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, as only, but as only through fire. Now remember, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church about their church, right? So he's writing to the church about their church. And here's what he says. The foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. And upon that solid foundation, Paul says, 
me and Apollos, we built on that foundation. We laid the foundation of the gospel, and then we built your church upon that foundation. And he says, look, in the end, God will be the judge of the things that we did right in building this church and the things that we possibly did wrong in building this church. But then Paul does something interesting in verse 13. He's been talking about how he and Apollos built this church in Corinth and that God will judge their work. But look what he does in verse 13. He flips the script on them and he says, okay, but this isn't just about me and Apollos. This is also about you. Look at what he says. He says that all of us, for all of us, there is coming a day when God is going to judge what you have built with your life. Friends, do you realize that every day, with all of your choices and all of your actions, you are building something. You are building a life. You are building a legacy. The most important thing you can do is to build your life upon Jesus as your foundation. But once you've got that foundation in place, the next question is this. What kind of life are you going to build? What kind of life are you building? Are you building your life in a way that will make an impact and last for eternity? Or are you building your life in a way that is cheap and temporary? The petty arguments that the Corinthians were caught up in. Listen, do you think they mattered in eternity? You realize in eternity, these petty little disagreements, I'm a Paul, I'm Apollos, they will not matter in eternity. That's what Paul's saying. They will not matter in eternity. It is just a massive waste of time and energy. That time and energy, how much better could it be spent and devoted to things that actually matter, that actually have value in light of eternity? In the same way, friends, let me ask you this. Are you spending your time and energy in ways that are building something that will last? Are you investing the days of your life and the energy of your life to build things that matter for eternity? Or are you focused on things which, in light of eternity, are just a massive waste of time? petty arguments, shallow stuff. Friends, I think this is a good thing for us to consider, especially right now. One day, God is going to look at what you have built with your life. And for the good stuff, you will be rewarded. And the rest will be forgotten. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? That the, the stuff that I did in my life, I did it for the wrong motivations, the wrong reasons. God in his grace is going to be forgotten. It's going to be burned up. And the stuff that's good, he's going to reward me for that forever. But here's the thing. Do you want most of your life to just be forgotten and not matter for eternity? Or do you want to spend your life right now on things that will matter for eternity? Do you want to spend your life on trivial things that don't really matter in the long run? Nobody should want to do that. Or do you want to spend your life building things that will actually make a difference for eternity? Listen, that was the deal with the Corinthians. They're caught up in all these arguments. And Paul says, this stuff you're doing, man, it's not going to matter. It doesn't really matter in light of eternity. How about instead of that, you build with precious stones and silver and gold, right, rather than this wood, hay, and stubble stuff. It'll be forgotten. You're still going to be saved. But don't you want your life to matter? Don't you want to spend your time and energy building something that actually matters? Listen, one of the ways we grow in maturity is by viewing our lives and learning to live our lives from an eternal perspective and choosing to build our lives based on what really matters in light of eternity. So 
Make Jesus your foundation and be thoughtful about how and what you build with the days of your life and the resources God has given you. Paul says in verse 16, Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Listen, some people have used these verses to talk about suicide. And they've said, these verses tell you why it's wrong to commit suicide. And while I certainly agree that it is wrong to commit suicide, and you should never do it, and if you're even thinking about it, please talk to me. Talk to one of our other leaders here at the church. We want to help you. But listen, I have to tell you this. As much as that's true, these verses aren't talking about suicide. The word you in these verses is plural. He's not talking to individuals. He's not saying you as an individual are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, he will say that in a couple chapters from now. But here, he's not saying that. He's using the word you in the plural, right? In English, we say you can mean you as a single individual. Or we could say you in the sense of all you all, as they say in other states other than ours. So um, listen, that's what he's saying, like plural, right? It's plural. So what Paul is saying is all you guys together, you are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit dwells among you collectively. What is he talking about? He's talking to the Corinthian church about their church. And he's warning them against tearing down and destroying the church. Because remember, that's what these Christians in Corinth were doing through their fighting and bickering. They were hurting the church. Rather than building up the church through their actions, they were tearing it apart. And here Paul is giving them and us a solemn warning that God wants us to build up his church, not to tear it down. You know, I run into this all the time. I meet these people. It's kind of faddish, right? I know it's not new, but it's, all, it's kind of trendy faddish for people to be like, oh, I'm too cool for church, right? Too cool for school. And I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. Church is dumb. Jesus is cool. And I'm cool like that. So I don't like church because it's dumb. And they'll talk bad about the church. But friends, I have to tell you this. That is not the heart of Jesus. He doesn't share your disdain for the church if you have one. You know that? Jesus loves the church, warts and all. You know that he gave his life for the church. He shed his blood for the church. He calls it his bride. His spirit dwells among the church, and he wants you to love and build his church as well, never to tear it down. Look at verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise true wisdom, Paul has been showing us, begins with humility. It begins with understanding who God is and who you are in relation to him. Look at verses 19 and 20. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Verse 21. So let no one boast in men. That's been his, his big point here. And check out why. He says, for all things are yours. What is that? All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. The irony is that the Corinthian church, the Corinthian Christians were arguing over whether they belonged to Paul or they belonged to Apollos. And Paul says, you've got it backwards, guys. It isn't that you belong to Paul or you belong to Apollos, but Paul and Apollos belong to you in Christ. God has given them to you to bless you, to build you up. You should be saying they belong to us. God has given them to us. In fact, he says, in Christ, everything is yours. 
The present is yours for the living. The future is yours because it's full of hope for all eternity. The world is yours to enjoy. Life is yours to live. Even death is yours in Christ because if you belong to Jesus, death will be the means by which God ushers you into his presence. That means that death is not your master. You are not a slave to death. Rather, death is your servant, which serves you in Jesus to bring you into the presence of God. All things are yours, Paul tells us, but you, you belong to Christ. Friends, once you have put your faith in Jesus and become a child of God, what is next is for you to grow and make progress in your faith. God has a purpose and calling for your life, and he wants you to step into it and walk in it. And so remember this, growing in maturity as children of God, it requires nourishment, exercise, and construction. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.